Well, good morning. Great to have each of you in the auditorium here, and for those of you down in the family room as well as joining us online, uh, good to have you with us today on a beautiful, warm, summer Sunday morning, right? And uh, we're going to take a quiz as we begin. You ready for a quiz? Everybody likes quizzes, right? Probably except students or teachers. Maybe see teachers, what? No, because they have to give it. Right, so it's like, and then put up with all the whining afterwards. There won't be any whining, okay? Uh, so here we go. What percent of Americans feel very confident in being able to spot fake news according to a 2017 Gallup Knight Foundation survey? 88%, 62%, 27%. Hmm. And the answer is... 27% of Americans feel very confident in being able to spot fake news. Wow. Ah, you saying, hmm, I'm not sure. All right. Next question. What percent of Americans report lessening their overall news intake because of misinformation? Well, do you know there's actually a term, a different term or a difference in terms of misinformation and disinformation? That's right. We're not going to go there this morning, but um, uh, that's all part of the whole fake news thing. So what percent of Americans report lessening their intake? 68, 43, 10. The answer is 43% of Americans report lessening their overall news intake because of the misinformation, the fake news. Yeah. One more question. All right. Here we go. About what percent of all Americans have changed the way they use social media because of misinformation? See, I'm not in that one because I don't use social media. So that's a real easy. I haven't changed, right? But what about it? Fewer than 25, about 50, more than 75. And the answer is about 50% have changed the way they use social media. Interesting. Now, fake news. Wow. Uh, I don't need to tell you, we're living in crazy times just when there is such a term <laughs> as fake news. How in the world? Who would have ever thought there would be such a thing? It just sounds like, wait a minute, how can it, if it's fake, how can it be news? And anyway, uh, we could spend a lot of time talking about that today, but uh, as we think that through, we're not going to talk about fake news today, and all God's people said, yay, right? Amen, yeah. I'd probably get myself in trouble with that one, but, uh, but I do want to talk to you about fake apologies. Fake apologies. Because just like we would say, how, how in the world can there really be fake news? How can, how, can, how can that exist? How can that be a reality? It's like... It's an oxymoron kind of a thing. It just doesn't make sense. Fake news. Well, the same would be true with fake apologies, or as some call them, faux-pologies. Have you heard that term? Uh, it's kind of a media-generated term, faux-pologies. And, and that is an attempt to sound remorseful, uh, to use words, maybe to rephrase words so they sound genuine and authentic, but there's really no acknowledgement of any wrongdoing, and it's an attempt to shift the blame and avoid taking responsibility. 
rather than saying I'm sorry and meaning it, which is how we would come out and say that, uh, we simply, uh, a fake apology, a faux apology, does everything to sound good, but in effect, mm, not really apologizing for anything, except maybe for the fact that you want me to apologize, you know. So as we talk about this morning, and think about that, so what are we supposed to do when we mess up? What are we supposed to do when we blow it, when, when we sin? Well, if you remember, last week we looked at some verses in James chapter 4 and, and verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Now, we said all of the you's in those first three verses, the your, the you's, they're all plural. So it's talking about a group of people, but it's talking about individuals who make up that group. Why? Because James is talking to believers. Believers as a whole, and he's saying, fights and quarrels amongst all of you. Don't they come from all of your desires? Each of you have individual desires. And he goes on, and that's where they come from. So where's the fighting and quarreling come from? Us. Me, myself, and I, you, yourself, you. And, and that's where they come from. And, and remember this. We talked last week, sinners tend to respond or sinful people tend to respond sinfully when sinned against. That's just, the Bible's very clear about that over and over again. We tend to do that. That's what sin does. We often say, sin makes you stupid. You ever looked at somebody who has done something really wrong, sin, and, and we, we think about it, well, how in the world could they do that? How could they act like that? How could they talk like that? How could they think like that? Well, that's sin. That's what sin does. And sinful people tend to respond sinfully when sinned against. So as we talk about, we need to take responsibility. What do we do when we mess up? We must take responsibility. Faux apologies, fake apologies don't take responsibility. Try to weasel out of it. Try to shift the blame somewhere else. Try to sound remorseful, but in fact, don't do anything to indicate genuine repentance. That's us. That's you. That's me. As we think this through, we must take care of our sin. There are two sides to forgiveness. And the first side is maybe being willing to admit that each of us need to be forgiven when we sin, when we wrong, if we sin against someone or simply if we sin against God. When we fight and quarrel, as James chapter 4 and verse 1 says, and end up creating a mess in a relationship or in the church, uh, it is critical, absolutely crucial that we recognize our part, our sin in the conflict, that we acknowledge that sin, that we admit that sin, that we confess that sin, and accept the responsibility for making it right, to bring about resolution. That is critical. Why? Because we're in this together. 
That's our series that we began last week, In This Together. We, as God's people, are in this together. That's the church, the local church here. And we need to make sure we're dealing with the sin in our lives because it will affect each of us because we're in this together. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, Proverbs chapter 28. Proverbs chapter 28, we're just going to quickly look at two verses, verses 13 and 14. Proverbs chapter 28, verses 13 and 14. I don't need to tell you a page number here in the auditorium because I don't believe we have the Bibles under the chairs in front of you. It's part of one of our protocols that we felt necessary, so I'm hope, hoping you have your Bible or your tablet, your smartphone, whatever. Proverbs 28, verse 13. Here's, here's what we read. <clears throat> Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper. See, concealing sin is, is the first part of that faux apology, that fake apology. It's, it's covering it up. It's hiding it. It's, it's not acknowledging it. It's trying to keep it hidden. That's what's involved there. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper. Listen, right off the bat as we talk about this, God is saying, you're not going to prosper. You're not going to succeed. There's not going to be benefit. You're not going to see the blessing of God, the power of God, the joy of God in your life when we cover up our sin, when we refuse to acknowledge our sin, we will not prosper. But, this is what he goes on to say, the one who confesses and renounces them, what? Their sins finds mercy. To confess, to admit to accept blame, to accept the responsibility, to acknowledge not just those sins, but really in part of, and I'm not going to dig deep into this right now this morning, but in part it's acknowledging our sinfulness as human beings. You see, sometimes we forget that. We want to hide our sin, conceal our sin, cover our sin, but listen, folks, we're all sinners we're born that way, every one of us. My pastor uh, out in Chicago, when, when I first began in youth ministry, used to say all the time, we're sinners by nature, by deed, and by choice. There it is. By who we are, by what we do, and what we choose. We, we are sinners. And, and we need to keep that in mind. But as we confess, we confess, yes, that we're sinners, but we confess our specific sins as well. well. We'll get to that in just a minute. And then the idea of not just confessing, but renouncing them. Renounces. Renouncing sin literally means, some of you may have a translation that says to forsake sin. It would be leaving that sin entirely. Walking away from it. To depart the word is abandon. We abandon our sin. That's repentance. That's when there's a change that takes place. We run from sin. We go 180 degrees the other direction. 180 degrees, I'll get that right. The other direction from that sin. That's what renouncing. And then here's what we go on, verse, uh, verse 14. Blessed is the one, happy is the one who always trembles before God. What do you mean? Trembles before God? 
That's the reverence. That's the respect. But it's, it's a literal fear. You read through the Bible. You read through, especially in the Old Testament, and there was a fear, a genuine fear of God. I, I can remember growing up as a kid when I knew I did something wrong. I remember once I got home late, and my friends knew I was late, and I knew I was late, and my dad knew I was late, and I was afraid. And in fact, that night when I get home, guess what? My dad's standing on the front porch. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> I was afraid, right? And, and it wasn't, it, it, yes, it didn't mean that I loved him any less, that I didn't respect him, but I was afraid. Did I think he didn't love me? Well, maybe at that moment. <laughs> Dad, if you love me, why are you mad? Because I sinned. And, and the idea, we tremble before God. Listen, folks, we, there ought to be a fear of God in our hearts that generates a fear of sin. That's part of the reason why sin sometimes is so easy, because we, we, we don't fear it. Have you ever said when you see, um, we, we just got word, or Jane and I were talking about uh, some people and, and a... And a the trouble that a broken marriage has created, and it's like, wow. Where was the fear of that sin when that was going on? See, where was the fear of God? And then, and then the verse ends. Blessed is the one who always trembles before God, but whoever hardens their heart falls into trouble. You can surmise what a hard heart would be, cold but you know what the word hard here really means? To make stubborn. A hard heart is a stubborn heart. So when the sin is in our life, we conceal it. Why? Because we're stubborn. We don't want to admit it. We don't want to say it's wrong. God says this, but we try to figure out how to get around it, how to rationalize it, how to deal with it. And guess what? We will fall into trouble now we're gonna so what do we do what do we do well um as we talk about we're in this together we're talking about unity we're gonna look this morning at the seven a's of confession and you should have received when you came in this morning uh this half sheet that has that the seven a's of confession on there and uh, i wanted to point out this uh these books to you uh, the, first, the, the first one, Peacemaker by Ken Sandy, is, is where I get this seven A's. And we're going to walk through that a little bit. But this is, that's a great book, by the way, if you're interested. A Biblical Guide for Resolving Personal Conflict uh, based on Scripture. But, but certainly, and this is where they come from. Last week I talked to you about a book entitled Christians in the Age of Outrage, How to Bring Our Best When the World is at Its Worst by Ed Stetzer. That's that book. That would be uh, I, I, a good read as well for you as a believer. But as we look at these seven A's of confession, so, so how do we deal with sin as it relates to our relationship with one another, as other believers, as members of the church, as our family, as husbands and wives, as parents and, and, and kids, as as employees and employers in our neighborhood, in, in our school, with our friends, or with our teacher? Or how do we deal with conflict? Well, we accept the responsibility, we acknowledge our sin, we confess, and that's what we're going to talk about. So as you work down through that, 
Um, the seven A's, first of all, address everyone involved. Now that may go without saying, and yet that is critical that that's where we start. Confession must first be to God because God is involved in our sin, even against other people. And we're talking primarily against believers. But these, the, uh, th these principles would hold true, too, with those who don't know the Lord. But as we talk about unity in the body of Christ, amongst those who know Jesus, address everyone involved, and that starts with Jesus. That's what 1 John 1, 9 is all about. When, if we confess our sin, if we say the same thing about our sin that God does, to speak the same word, that's the word confess. So when we speak the same word about our sin that God does, we're dealing with it before him. We're confessing our sin. We're acknowledging, God, I blew it. And what's his promise? He's faithful and just and will forgive. Not the forgiveness that we first experience as a result of, of our faith in Jesus Christ when we get saved, but this is the dealing with the fellowship breaker. And I'll say more about that as we move on. But, but here we go, Psalm 32 and verse 5. This is one of the verses that David shared when, when he committed adultery and murder. Then I acknowledged, David says, I admitted my sin to you and did not cover up my dick. I didn't conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. We must acknowledge our sin, address everyone involved, and it starts with God first. Uh, remember the prodigal son or the lost son, the parable in Luke chapter 15. And when the prodigal son came, decided to, to make things right, he said, I will go home. And what did he say? Dad, I've sinned against heaven and against you, but against heaven, God, first and against you. You can check out Psalm 51, too, to see how David addresses it. It's also David's acknowledging of his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah. And our confession needs to be as public. We talk about everyone involved. It needs to be as public as our sin is. Our confession needs to be as wide as our sin is. If we've, if we've sinned before a, a whole group of people, our whole family, our whole workplace, the whole classroom, whatever it may be, our confession needs to be as broad as our sin is. And, and as you think about that, we, we need to think, if it's just between you and another person, keep it there. We'll talk more about that when we talk about forgiveness, but too many times we talk about it with everybody else but the person that we need to acknowledge it to. And, and we need to keep that. That's what Matthew 18 is all about. You go to that person, singularly, who has offended you or who you have offended in that regard. And, and keep it there. Gossip, slander, lying, all of that. Who was affected? Who was hurt by that sin? And we need to cover in our confessing, in our acknowledgement, in our admitting all that were involved, all that felt the pain of that sin. Secondly, avoid the words if, but, and maybe. Listen, these, <laughs> these words and others like them are simply faux apology words. They're fake apology words, right? When, when we understand that, if, but, and maybe indicate a watered down or a fake apology, it only makes you feel better. 
Keep that in mind. When we're using these words, it makes us feel better, but it doesn't really do anything to help the one that's been offended or been hurt or been sinned against. For instance, I'm sorry if I hurt you. Does that sound like a real sincere apology? I'm sorry if I hurt you. If I did anything to offend you, I'm sorry. Wow, that, that's big of you, right? And uh, uh, I apologize for whatever I might have done. You see, when we use the words if or might like that, we, we really don't believe that we're guilty, that we really did anything worth apologizing. How about, how about the I shouldn't have said those things, but I was tired, right? Have you, have you felt like that? Or, or I'm sorry, but you were wrong too. Ah, See, when we throw the word but in our, our apology, it's like we're making excuses. So there, it lacks the genuineness and authenticity. How about this? I'm sorry. Maybe next time you shouldn't be so sensitive. I'm, I'm glad we can laugh, folks. <laughs> right? I'm, I mean, because we've all been there, right? We, I, I think that's the thing about it. We've, we've all been there. Or, 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 I'm sorry, but maybe you should learn to take a joke. Oh. Proverbs talks about saying a person who's always joking, saying, am not I in sport, and, and, and talks about that individual as one who's not a sincere person. So we need to make sure that when we are apologizing, we're not using words that indicate uh, a lack of genuineness, a lack of belief that we're guilty, or really when you use the word maybe, it's kind of like it's not really my fault, but I'm apologizing to make you feel better, and it, and it really doesn't work that way. Thirdly, admit specifically. So what do we do here? Well, we admit specifically. Or how about this one? Here's another classic on the, I'm sorry that you took it that way. Well, how else would they take it? And, and so we need to learn how to apologize. But then we, we get by that by ad, admitting, admit specifically. Name your sin. That's what 1 John 1, 9 says. If we confess our sin, if we, the Greek word, say the same thing, speak the same thing about our sin that God does. So we admit specifically, be specific about what you did. Sometimes we get in a disagreement, a fight, an argument, whatever it may be. You, you put the name to it, and, uh, and then we feel bad, and so we say, hey, um, I- I'm sorry about last night. Well, what are we sorry for? Let's name it specifically. See, that's what 1 John 1, 9 says. Say the same, speak the same word about our sin that God does. Name it. It's not just for what I, what did you do? Well, it may be, I'm sorry I lost my temper last night. I'm sorry I lied to you. It might be, I'm sorry I said those ugly words to you. Be specific, not general. Why? Because there's more of an indication that we're serious about when we're willing to name our sin. Say, speak the same word. That's the word confess. Speak the same word. And again, acknowledging that it starts with God. See, God knows our heart. God doesn't want to just hear, 
oh, God, I'm sorry for all that stuff I did. Well, wait a minute. Let's, let's, let's deal with our sin. Because when we're general in dealing with our sin, we're going to be general in the way we try to make it right and, and respond. Fourth, acknowledge the hurt. Acknowledge the hurt. Express your sorrow and sadness at the hurt and the pain that we've caused. Sometimes we don't get that. And this isn't always just, it, please, it's not just an emotional thing. It's not just about feelings, but there are feelings and emotions involved. When we hurt people, there is hurt. There is pain. And we need to recognize that and mention it. So sometimes it's part of taking the responsibility for what we've done. When we show regret, there's a sorrow for the pain that we've caused or the hurt that we've inflicted. So it's not yet we need to be careful about just focusing on the feelings. But, but when we're talking with somebody, they need to hear from us that we know that there was genuine regret by what we did to hurt them or create the pain in their life. You see, responsibility and regret go together in that regard. Sometimes we don't think we hurt anywhere. What's wrong with you? Grow up. Hey, you know, come on. Act, you could act a little more mature than this. Okay, maybe. But if we've hurt somebody by what we said or did or thought or how we, whatever, it may, we need to be specific about that and acknowledge the hurt and then accept the consequences. You know, sometimes when we confess and say we're sorry, people, we, we tend to think that, that's, that everything should be hunky-dory, right? That's a biblical word, right? No, not. <laughs> we sometimes think everything should just be okay when we, that, okay, but there are consequences. And we need to be willing to accept the consequences to our sin. You see, many times there is a penalty when we've done wrong. And, and when we admit our sin, that's great, that's where it begins, but then sometimes there's the price to pay of the consequences, you know, like, Dad, uh, I was playing with the ball in the basement, and I broke the basement window. I really did that. That shouldn't be a surprise, right? I mean, those things happen. When we're down <laughs> to see our grandkids, uh, we, we see a, a broken window right up off the deck. And I said to, I said to my son, um, what in the world? What, how'd this window get broke? Actually, I said it to Tricia. And, and, and she says Luke and Rocky were throwing the baseball and it got away from Rocky and went sailing over Luke's head right through the window. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, Dad. I'm sorry, Mom. Great. But guess what? Who's going to pay for the window? There's consequences. Now, that's a real simple one. But sometimes they get more. How about you ever had a problem in class? Teacher catches you cheating or you, have, you admit you're cheating and your conscience bothers you. Go to the teacher or whoever uh, and you admit you're cheating and you say, I've cheated. And it's almost like sometimes we expect because I've cheated, they're going to give us another chance or it's going to be okay. And the teacher may say, okay, that's great. I appreciate your honesty. But guess what? You still get an F. There are consequences. And we need to be willing when we're genuinely remorseful and repentant, we need to accept the consequences. You know, that's what Zacchaeus was willing to do. Do you remember the story of Zacchaeus when he came to know Jesus? What did he say? Zacchaeus in chapter Luke in verse 8, chapter Luke. Luke, Luke chapter 19, verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, because he'd been ripping them off. 
And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now that's acknowledging consequences and making restitution. And that's critical if there's going to be. You know what sometimes? That's what helps to build back trust. When, when trust has been violated, it takes a long time to get it back. And that many times, restitution, accepting the consequences, helps. Alter your behavior. Number six, alter your behavior. If you're going to demonstrate genuine repentance, listen, repentance means 180 degree change. I will change. That's what is involved. A change of behavior. Change of words, change of thinking, change of attitude. But it involves a change. And when we are demonstrating genuine repentance, when we're trying to say, I'm sorry, it is critical that we, we, we change. Nobody wants to hear, and, and, and if any of you are counselors or have been in a counseling situation and, and involved, and, and, and you hear from counselors talking about one other thing, I was talking with somebody, and, and, and they're still upset because... Uh, so-and-so apologized for what they did, but then they turned around and did it again. And they apologized again. Okay, how many times does Jesus say, tell Peter we're to forgive? 70 times 7, right? Okay, but over and over and over, we're to forgive, but guess what? There doesn't seem to be indicating when that's happening on the part of the offender a genuine sorrow for the sin if it continues to be repeated over and over and over again. So the idea there is alter. The change must come. And it may be ask the person, how can I change? What can I do to show you that I've changed, that I'm not going to do that? Uh, ask a friend or, or a family member, your husband, your wife, your kids, your parents, whoever, a close friend, to hold you accountable so that there will be change in your behavior as you think that through. Alter your behavior. Bottom line, in this whole business, when we're saying we're sorry or when we're confessing the seven A's of confession, there's got to be change or, or it's going to be hard to convince anybody that we really mean what we're saying about sorrow for our sin. And the bottom line is, when we're sorry, when we've truly repented, it's heart transformation. You see, that's what Jesus was talking to the Pharisees about all the time. He said, you know, you, 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 the, your, your words sound great. And what you say in your lips, oh, every, tickles everybody's ears. But guess what? Your hearts are far from me. Because altering behavior comes from a heart transformation. And that must show a change in what we do when we're genuinely Sorry. And, and, and then lastly, the seventh, ask for forgiveness. Now, this step is the hardest. This, this is where it goes. Th this is just the hard one, right? Saying I'm sorry is easy, right? Just, just think about how often we say I'm sorry. I mean, you, you might bump into somebody in the hallway or you back into somebody. You didn't see them. And, and oh, I'm sorry, sorry, yeah. Or have you ever been talking on your phone and, and you switch hands and you hang up on them and, and you're like, oh, so you call them right, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Or, or maybe you got an email that's been sitting in your inbox for a long time and, and it got buried and you lost it and you, you get an email back, hey, I sent you an email. Any, any idea what, 
you know, and, oh, I'm sorry, I totally forgot, my bad, and see what I mean? We, we do that all the time. We, routine, it's just part of what we do when, when it's not to say that you, we shouldn't or that it's not, I mean, it's like, uh, oh, I burned the toast this morning, sorry. I know there was a piece of pie in the refrigerator and, and I ate it, I didn't know you want, sorry, right? Um, but when we're genuinely sorry, Jane and I have worked at this hard and try to do this. Whenever I've talked to somebody, and whether it be in counseling or just about difficulties in relationships, one of the things that we picked up somewhere along the way, here or wherever, is simply what the way we do that. Listen, I'm sorry. I yelled at you. I was angry with you. I lied to you. I whatever. I was dishonest. Will you please forgive me? I was wrong. Ask for forgiveness. It's one thing to say I'm sorry. It's another to say, listen, I'm really sorry, but would you forgive me? And I'm not talking about the pressured, you know, sometimes we need a little space. Because sometimes as believers, somebody said, hey, will you forgive me? Will you please forgive me? It's like we feel, well, you know, and, and then sometimes we add jokingly, well, you know, now if you don't, if you don't forgive me, you're wrong. So we, sometimes we need a little space. But ultimately, when we're asking for forgiveness, we're asking for a response in that individual because we want them to know that there's a genuine, authentic sorrow for our sin. We have hurt them. We're going to be different. We're going to change our behavior. We'll accept whatever consequences comes along, but I need you to forgive me. Can I just say this sometimes, because we love our brothers and sisters like that we do, right? Don't just say, ah, oh, it doesn't matter, no big deal. That's water, water over the dam or water under the bridge or wherever, right? Don't, and I don't mean this critically or negatively, don't let people off the hook. Sometimes people try to apologize. Ah, pff. Now, if it's just I hung up on you, okay, well, accidentally. We're not talking that. But when there's a significant issue and we're trying to apologize, no, it is a big deal. And we need, you know what? I forgive you. And we're going to talk about forgiveness next week because that's the second side, the back side. Confession is the front side. The forgiveness is the back side of dealing with sin within the body. So there it is. So remember, Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper. We've got to confess our sin. But the one who confesses and renounces will find mercy. This morning, I don't think this is new information. Now, maybe for some of you, maybe it's something you haven't quite heard it that way. But it is a critical reminder that when we sin, first of all, against God, we need to acknowledge to Him, 1 John 1, 9. But when we sin against our brothers and sisters, our friends, our families, our, our neighbors, we need to make things right. And the longer we choose not to confess our sin. To God, we've broken fellowship with Him. Do you know sometimes why we don't have answered prayer in our lives as believers? 
because we haven't made our sin right before God. That's what 1 John 1, 9 is. If you'll read through the, the first few chapters of 1 John, you'll find many times people think 1 John 1, 9 is a salvation verse. No, it is not. It is a verse of fellowship. John is talking to believers. And when we sin, we admit it. We say, I say the same thing about my sin that God does. And he cleanses us. But if we don't, it breaks our fellowship. It's like going back to that when I break the window to my dad and don't admit it for a while. My dad knows I did it. He's not very happy with me. And I'm not very, I'm, I'm not comfortable being around him because I'm guilty, right? There's that yucky feeling. You, you, you know what I'm talking about? Whether it's between husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, parents and children or whoever. There's that uncomfortableness. Well, with God, God, he won't answer sin. When we, Psalm 66, 18, when we look upon sin in our lives and don't deal with it, God won't hear us. Our prayers don't get any higher than a couple feet over our heads because we need to confess that sin. And we need to, we're in this together, folks. In this together. We need to learn to acknowledge our sin to God and to one another. And this is a hard one. Man, it's tough. I admit, it's hard for me. I don't like to hurt my wife, but when I do, sometimes it's like, oh, man, why did I do? And it's hard. And we need to deal with that. Think with me what might happen if we would regularly deal with sin. I mean, how about this? I talked about this a little bit last week. But what if there was more fear about sin in our lives than about the virus in our country. Now, please, don't anybody think that I'm not saying you should be afraid of the virus. I, I just heard of a couple of friends of ours that got the virus, and it's actually a few of them, different ones. And, and it's there to be fine. But you know what? We need to be more fearful about sin in our lives because that's what God talks about. One more, what if sinful people at Heritage didn't tend to respond sinfully when sinned against, huh? If we say, and Scripture's clear, that sinners, sinful people tend to respond sinfully when sin, sinned against, what if we as believers said, you know what, I'm going I'm to keep short accounts. When I sin, I'm going to deal with it. I'm not going to let time go by. I'm going to take care of it. So sinful people at a heritage don't tend to respond sinfully when sinned against. Amen, huh? That's a great biblical truth. 1 John 1.9 is in your Bible, my Bible. Folks, if we're going to maintain unity, if we're going to be in this together and be able to accomplish all that God has intended for us as a body of believers that we call Heritage Baptist Church, we must deal with sin. Confess that sin to God and to whoever it is that we sin against and seek forgiveness. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you that he made forgiveness possible. As we sang about, thank you, Father, that because Christ went to the cross, the blood of Jesus forgives our sin, washes it away, 
Oh God, help us to acknowledge when we sin and make it right with you and with those that we've offended, that we've sinned against. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.